If you have your Scriptures with you, I want to invite you to open them to Luke chapter 15. We're going to continue this morning with uh, our sermon series on the prodigal, uh, today the prodigal son, but on the lost, being lost, the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coins, this idea of lostness. And so uh, today we're going to look at the lost son this one called the Prodigal Son, and if you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your bulletin, so you can read along with that. Very familiar passage, uh, and so let's uh, read together, and uh, now hear God's Word, starting in uh, verse 11. Now hear God's Word. And he said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered all his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed on the to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best rope, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead. Now he is alive again. He was lost but now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in, His father came out and entreated him, and he answered his father and said, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting 
to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You know, over 30 years, maybe 40 years now ago, uh, Dr. Edmund Clowney, uh, who some of you are familiar with, he's a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, he preached a very famous sermon called The Prodigal Sons. The Prodigal Sons. And in the audience, one of his students, young seminary guy, young inspiring pastor was listening. His name was Tim Keller. Tim Keller said this, I felt... I have discovered the heart of Christianity. This passage is the heart of the heart of Christianity. And if you call yourself a Christian, this has to beat in your heart with every beat of your heart. I felt I had discovered the heart of Christianity. You see, Jesus had been talking about lost sheep and lost coins. We talked about that last week. And He asks the question, He said, aren't people, aren't people more important than lost sheep and lost coins? And everybody, even His opponents, even the people that didn't agree with Him, would have said, yeah, yeah, we get that, we get that. And Jesus draws, and now He comes in really close. He gets right into their heart, right into their face, and He says, but listen, we're not talking anymore about sheep. We're not talking about coins. We're not even talking about people because there are people that we all dismiss that aren't worthy to be in our company, that aren't worthy to walk through these holy doors and enter into this holy place or sit next to your holy body. We all do that. We all discriminate and draw lines. Who is worthy? And so Jesus draws in really close And He says, we're not talking about sheep. We're not talking about coins. We're not even talking about people. We're going to talk about the thing that is most precious to anybody that's a normal human being. Your child. Your son. If I can't make the point with sheep and coins and people, let's talk about your child. What does lostness look like? And the genius of Dr. Clowney, and of course Tim Keller wrote the New York Times, has uh, written several New York Times bestsellers, but The Prodigal God, which some of you have read, The Prodigal God, is the heart of Christianity. And what was so brilliant about Dr. Clowney and what Keller has made so popular, and by the way, they didn't invent this. You can read, I read old commentaries, I mean old ones, going way back, hundreds of years. And the commentators all recognize that this is not a story about a lost son. This is a story about two lost sons. One is lost. One is utterly lost in his rebellion and sinful heart. But the other son is equally lost in his obedient and smug self 
righteousness, sitting up above everybody, including His Father, and saying, I will judge you. I will sit in judgment of you. I will decide who's worthy and who's not worthy. This is the heart of Christianity. Folks, this is in your Bible, by the way, on every page. Just, we don't look. We don't want to see it. And let me tell you, let me be the first one to admit it. It's hard to look at that. That's smug self-righteousness because that's in every one of us. I have it in me. I fight it every day. Sometimes I like it. I coddle it. And I work it for my advantage. And I'm ashamed of it. But I'll confess and I'll say it's there. So must you. The younger son was lost in his disobedience. And so his voice comes out in this parable. Listen, here it is. Give me now. Then later he says, make me a servant. Make me a slave. The older son, also lost, says, you never give me anything. I have slaved for you. And that, in a nutshell, is humanity. You never give me anything, God. Why am I suffering like that? Why am I going through this? You never give me anything. And there are others that say to God Almighty in the heavens above, I have slaved for you. And you've never given me this and that and the other thing. And to both, God says, bring the robe. You're always with me. I love you. Never, never you have to earn it. Never go off and find yourself, be sinful and do whatever. That's okay. I'll forgive you. Never. His love is the basis for everyone in this room for you being here. Not your radical disobedience and not your radical obedience. God is not impressed with your sinfulness and He's not impressed with any one of your obediences. None of them. Why? I've told you this for 16 years or 15. The church has one year on me. You know why He's not impressed with your obedience? He already saw. He saw the best, most obedient, most masterful piece of work this world has ever seen. He saw it with His own eyes. He watched Him walk through the dust and watched Him bleed and watched Him die. He saw the Michelangelo. He saw the Sistine Chapel. He saw the beauty and glory of His Son. Perfect obedience for you and I. And it's on that basis... And that basis alone that every one of us dares to enter His presence ever. The blood of His Son. The obedience of His Son. That masterpiece. And that is to move both the lost Son and the lost other Son. The obedient and the disobedient to the love of the Father. How is anyone found? How is anyone found? The love, grace, and acceptance of the Father. Plus nothing. 
It's so impossible. Let me give you another quote by a very famous theologian. Uh, his name's Chuck. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're never supposed to quote yourself, and I don't do that, and so please indulge me. Because while I was writing the sermon, I had write, you know, I write stuff down. Here's what I wrote. Just see if this doesn't resonate with you. I'll only do this once a year. It's impossible to overstate the majesty and brilliance of this story. The range of human pathos takes our breath away. Ingratitude, entitlement, raw, unadulterated hatred and disdain, disrespect and presumption from both the obedient and disobedient son. The prodigal sons. So today we're going to look at the younger son next week, the older and, and uh, the father perhaps the final week. But here's the outline we're going to use. First of all, we're going to look at our heart. Then we're going to look at our terms. The terms of engagement to God that we want to roll out in our humanity. And finally, we're going to look at our Father. So our heart. Here's the heart. Look at verse 12. This is the heart. The heart of the younger son. But Jesus is trying to get everybody to say, no, it's not only the younger son, it's me too. He's, get, he's bringing... It's what a story does, right? Brings you in. And here's what He says. Here's the heart. Verse 12. Give now. Give now. In fact, in Greek, it's an imperative. It was not a request, oh Father, please. He said, no, give me now what is coming to me. It was a demand. And so it says this, He divided His property. Some of your translations say He divided His living between them. Now catch this. He divided His living, His property between them both. He didn't hold on to the, to the two-thirds that was the elder brothers. That was the way they divided it in the ancient Near East. Elder brother got two-thirds. Younger brother got one-third. Uh, and everybody, In fact, everybody had to split. If he had ten kids, they all had to split the one-third. The elder brother got two-thirds. How do you all like that? Sounds pretty fair, right? Pretty cool? No, it's awful. But that's what they did. Two-thirds goes to the elder brother. One-third goes to whoever's left. Well, he divided his property to both of them. We'll talk more about that later. The, at the, and the scandal of this, folks, is that was unheard of in that world. And even now today, you know, I don't have to say this to you. You know that. My parents are sitting here in this room. If I told my dad right now, Dad, give me my inheritance right now, you know what he'd say? No. <laughs> but you know what this father says? Okay. I'll do it. I'll go ahead and divide it. It was unheard of. It was unknown in ancient world. It's unknown today. You just don't do that. And what is really interesting is the word for life, the commentators all pick up on this, but in English you don't get it because it says he divided his property or his living with them. But there's two, there's, there's two words in Greek for life. One is zoe. Many of you know that word zoe, right? We name our kids zoe. 
But there's another word for life in Greek, and you don't name your kids this word, bios. Right? Bios. Where we get, what do we get from that? Biology. Your life. Your physical life. Your living. And the Father, Jesus, <laughs> you know folks, if you're not in love with Him yet, I hope you will be after this sermon because, I mean, think about what He is saying. The Father is being told, God, I don't know if I can say it. The Father was being told by His Son, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. And unless you're sitting there with some smug self-righteousness and saying to yourself, oh, I would never say that. I would never say that. I don't really want to wish God dead. Listen to this. Dr. John Gerstner, R.C. Sproul's mentor. Dr. Gerstner. Our hatred, this is Dr. Gerstner, not Chuck, thank you. Our hatred, he's talking about humanity. Our hatred of God knows no bounds. Our hatred of God knows no bounds. If it were possible to get our hands on Him, we would kill Him. How do we know? Because when it did become possible for us to get our hands on Him, we did kill Him. The heart of man... The overarching narrative, I've told you this folks, for years and years we've talked about the overarching narrative of the Bible, the whole thing, the entire Bible, is simply this. Creation, then chaos. Creation, then chaos. And you know what? I don't know where you all come from, but that is, that's my life. I was born, I was raised in a wonderful family. But there was chaos. And I went to the chaos. Humanity has this thing. I don't know what it is. We want our inheritance now. I want it now. And we demand it now. And it starts in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 2, a little elaboration on creation. Genesis 3, give me my inheritance now. I want it now. She saw. She took. That's what it says in Hebrew. She saw. She took. She ate. She gave gave to her husband. He took. He ate. Their eyes were open. They hid. They sewed fig leaves together. It's like a trumpet blast off the pages. If you read it like it's supposed to be read. Here's what another old guy said. This is a man. This is man. He's talking about mankind. This is man, impatient of divine control, desiring to be independent of God, seeking to be his own master. That sin of sins in which 
all subsequent sins are spawned. They are but the unfolding of this One. Give me now my inheritance. God said, here's paradise, everything in it. The one thing I'm going to withhold from you is knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I want you to know only good. (laughs) That should wrench your heart apart. I only want you to know good. I don't want you to know evil. Will you trust me? No. Give me now. Give me now. And that's the face of man. That's you. That's me. Every morning I look in the mirror. That's me. Give me now. And off he goes. And you know the story. I don't have to tell you. I don't want to take time with the whole story of the pig. But he goes and he spends all his inheritance. He ends up, and for the Jewish ears, this was like the worst thing. In fact, there were people there probably with their hands, literally. People there with their hands over their ears. When Jesus stepped into the, the story and said, oh, you know where he ended up? A pigsty. You know, that was like unclean, right? You know, they don't eat pork, right? I was... He was in their pigsty. He was in the slop. He was eating their food. He was craving their food because he was so hungry. And here's the voice. Here's our terms. Now listen carefully. Dr. Clowney talked about it. Keller has expounded on it. Every good commentator mentions it. Jesus in His brilliance, He goes behind the scenes. He takes you into the younger son's mind. His kind lets you hear His inner talk. His inner talk. And He's hoping that you will recognize your voice in that inner talk. Listen. I'm in the pigsty. I'm eating slop. And He's thinking, how the heck... Did I get here? What is wrong with me? I mean, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? I know what I'll do now. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say, Father, I have sinned. Make me a servant. Now I have to tell you, the word for servant... The word for slave in Greek, many of you know this, the word for slave is doulos. He didn't say slave. He used a different word in Greek that means a servant. Jesus is absolutely a a genius, a scary. He's a scary genius. He doesn't use the word slave. He says, no, no. This son is not going to go back as a slave. He's going to go back and he wants to be paid. A paid servant. Different word. I'll go. I'll go back. I'll say to my father this and that and the other thing. And I'll tell him, I can fix this. I can make it up. I can work it off. You know, and most of us go our whole life doing that, folks. We figure, hey, I can make it up. I can work it off. I can do it. 
In AA, they say you have to hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you know that you can no longer work it off. (laughs) Some of you have been in AA, so you know what I'm talking about. When you get to rock bottom in Jesus' world, in His universe, in His cosmic world, whatever that is, when you get to rock bottom, there's no paycheck down there that you've got to work for to get. (laughs) You're broke. And if you've ever been at rock bottom, you know what you find down there at rock bottom is not the offer to work. What you find at rock bottom is a man who has already worked for you. Everyone, everyone tries. We all do it. We all try to come to God on our terms. The other day, I've told you this before, because the first time I ever saw one was in Florida. When we lived in this little community right next to the seminary in Florida, I saw the first time Those little strollers that look like cars, some of you may have them, that little stroller that looks like a car, and and, and it's got a handle on the back. You know what I'm talking about? And and the parent is holding the handle and pushing the kid along, right? And the kid's got a steering wheel, right? I mean, I saw one the other day on Stanton Street when I was going home. This is why it came to my mind. And the kid is doing what? He's driving furiously like this and like this and like this. And the mom had her cell phone like this. She's doing something, I don't know, whatever the blue screen was telling her to do. And she's moving the stroller. And the kid's driving furiously and really (laughs) believes that he's doing, he's driving. We all try to define our relationship with God. We are all driving furiously with the steering wheel going like this and behind us. is an invisible hand that is guiding you along, that is touching, reaching. Now she was an irresponsible mom. Believe me, God is not looking at His cell phone. Look at verse 17. But He came to Himself. Now, I don't know. Some of you probably are wondering, what is Chuck going to say about that? I'm going to tell you what I'll say about that. He came to Himself because of the invisible hand. Now, many of you come out of different faith traditions, and your faith tradition is that you think, well, he made a decision for God, that he repented right here of his own accord, that he said, I'm going to return. I repent, therefore I return to the Father. And his repentance led him to go back to the Father's house. No. 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 Okay? No. He went back on his own terms. You just heard him, right? Are you listening, folks? This is as good an exige- this is as good as exposition of preaching as you will ever hear. Thank God it's not just me I'm saying it. You can read it in all of the commentaries. It's as good as it gets, folks. He did not go because he repented and was returning to the Father. He went on his own terms 
out of his own mind with his own conditions. I will go back to my father's house where there's plenty of bread and I will work for him as a servant and I will do for him and I will work it off. Yes? Maybe not. Yes. That's what he's saying. His heart, give me now. His terms, hey, wasn't so great out there in the world. Things are pretty bad right now. But my father, he's got plenty. I'll go back and I'll work for him. He'll pay me and I'll get back on my feet. I'll earn my way back. His inner voice. And here we go, folks. I'm only going to just touch on this and then we'll stop. And you can think about it for the rest of the week. Maybe not. Maybe for the rest of your lives. If you don't, then I can't help you. I want you to think for the rest of your lives about what you're about to hear. Verse 20. Still, a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. In the ancient Near East, a lot of you know that is un- you don't run, old men don't run, they wait. You come to them. Even in my dad's day, you would, when, when we would go see my dad's father, when we went into his house, he sat in his chair and his grandchildren ran in to meet him and we all lined up, didn't we dad? We all lined up in front of him as all his grandchildren came into the room and he never moved from his seat. He sat in his seat and as we all ran up and I was the eldest, he would look at us, he would take our hand in our, in, in his, our face in his hands and he would bring it in and he would kiss us on the forehead and then he would say and would make the sign of the cross on his children and then we would step aside and go get our food because it was food everywhere and then the next child would come and the same thing. We would have died of fright if he'd have got out of that chair. (laughs) We would have died of fright if he'd have stood up and ran out to the street to meet us. This father gets up and runs to meet his son who's coming, by the way, with conditions. I have conditions. Never mind the pig stink. Never mind the smell. I want you to ignore the stink. I want you to ignore the smell. I want you to ignore the torn clothes and the sunken belly and the skeletal look. Don't look at that. I have terms for you. Do you hear the audacity of the story? Do you hear the rank presumption of the son? I have some conditions of my own here while I stand before you, Father, in my stink and my poverty. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Read it carefully. Look at what it says. 
Stop. Dead stop. No more is said. What happened? Well, I don't really know because the text doesn't tell. I can only imagine. But I have a feeling, and this is just me. I don't like to say more than what Scripture says. But the, he stopped talking. So I can only imagine that the father put his hand up there and his son and said, Stop. Don't bring me. Don't say another word. I don't need to hear anything. And while he's holding his son from saying another word. See, the son never got his conditions out. Make me a servant. No, he said, I've sinned. And the father says, Stop, 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 stop turns to a servant and says, Now, verse 22, Now quickly bring the best robe. That would have been the robe the father wore. Bring the best robe. Bring the ring. Bring the shoes. Bring the fattened calf. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Well, here's the question for you folks today here at Christ the King. Listen. What? How you answer this will determine the range of your Christianity. And don't anybody say it out loud. Just think it in your mind. What are they celebrating? What are they celebrating? Are they celebrating the return of the Son? Or are they celebrating the resurrection? Of the Son. What does the text say? This, my Son, was dead. Now he's alive. This, my Son, was lost, but now he has returned. Anybody's Bible say that? Anyone? No? Thank goodness. Because it's not what it says. This my son that lost was what? He's been found. They were celebrating a resurrection, not a return. They were not celebrating his repentance and his faith and his this and his that. They were celebrating his resurrection, his new birth. He was lost, he's found, he was dead, he's alive. You know, in, in Keller's book, he has a definition for prodigal at the beginning of the book. And I just, you know, Tim Keller, the, the idea behind Tim Keller's book is brilliant the prodigal God. And this is why. Uh, and he gives the definition on the first page. You know, as you're opening the book, you'll see what prodigal. Do you all know what prodigal is? Here's what prodigal is. Let me read you the definition of prodigal. A prodigal is a spendthrift. Okay, everybody knows what spendthrift is, right? Okay, we can move on. You know what spendthrift is? It is somebody who spends recklessly with reckless abandon. In other words, they're lighting their cigar with $100 bills. They're spending with reckless abandon. They're wasteful. They're lavish. They're, they're throwing their money out prodigally to the last cent. 
to the uttermost, to the last copper penny. They take it out and they just toss it off like it's nothing. Wasteful, lavish, prodigal. You know, every day, I don't know about you, but I, I wonder, you wonder what you're worth? What am I worth? What is my life worth? Who ever spent anything on you like this? <laughs> to the last cent? To the last penny? Why is God prodigal? Because He spent everything He had. He spent recklessly. He actually wasted the blood of His Son on me. A waste. Is it a waste? He didn't seem to think so. Do you ever question your worth? Do you ever say, you know what, I don't know if I'm really worth anything? This... My son was dead. Now he's alive. The father gave all he had. He divided his bios, his very life. What do you think it meant to the father to turn and say to the son, will you go rescue them? Will you go rescue them? And what kind of crazy, reckless, Lavish, scandalous kind of love is it that answers that with, I would love to go. Let me go. I will go. And I won't just, I won't just tithe my blood. I'll pour it out for the world. Every last drop. Who does this? The prodigal God. For God so loved the world. Or better translation, God loved the world like this. He gave His Son. Reckless, wasteful, lavish, extravagant. He poured Him out for us. Will you trust Him? Will you? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we are celebrating 16 years of uh, Your faithfulness, and yet, reality, the faithfulness, has been from Genesis chapter 3, when You said, when You said, where are You, instead of shame on You, You started paying that day. And you finished paying on that cross for us, that beautiful, reckless, crazy. How can we even imagine it? Father, help us, please. As we come to Holy Communion today, fill our hearts with that sense of worth of your Son, His worth. May it flood into our hearts. We can't get this any other way but from You. On that cross, He paid to the uttermost for our sins.
Now we pray that you will feed us in our hearts by faith, that we might commune with you and you with us in the power of the Holy Spirit because you've taken our sins away. He was lost, Jesus, that today we could be found. Amen.